0: folks. I am Doug, and uh, I'm by myself again today. Happens from time to time, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I would prefer that it didn't happen as often as it will this month, but, you know, that's all right. Here we go. Got some football to talk about. There have been plenty of things happening around the NFL. Finally, it feels like the only things going on have been injuries for so long that you know, it's almost it feels weird talking about all the injuries to an extent. There is some more news. I don't know if we want to get into the Dan Snyder stuff. Probably not personally. <laughs> uh since it's only me, I guess that means we won't be talking about that today. Uh unless you wanna throw that out there and chat as a topic. We are live on Twitch. Please check us out on Twitch, Big Dudes in the Trenches is all one word. It's the full BDT experience, if you will, get to interact with us live during the show. So I guess let's go ahead and get started here. I don't know, I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Uh, First up, the Tennessee Titans have parted ways with their general manager, John Robinson. It's wild to me that they would do this in the middle of the season when they're in first place in their division. I do understand they're in a bad division. Like, the Colts aren't good, right? And that's your only competition. But still, they're first place in the division, and the personnel moves have been mostly masterful to this point, honestly. The only questionable decision was the A.J. Brown trade. Now, I do understand that is hurting you significantly right now, the fact you don't have a receiver. Still, this is uh, a bit of an extreme action, unless there are things behind the scenes that we don't know about yet, which is possible. I don't want to speculate too much on that, but that would be probably the only way this makes sense to me, especially the timing of this still the middle of the season. You can't really do much else at this point to improve your team. Kind of team kind of is what it is with the trade deadline, how it's set up and the free agents on the board. I mean, even the Cowboys are out on Odell Beckham jr. At this point. So there's no real options. (laughs) in the season. I guess trying to get a head start on everybody else and finding the next GM, maybe. Still, this feels strange to me. We'll see how this pans out. Nothing else they can do, I guess. Next up, we do need to talk about Baker Mayfield because he might be starting as soon as this Sunday uh, for the LA Rams. Kind of a wild year for Baker Mayfield. Went from potentially not even starting for the Panthers to getting the start, getting benched to starting again, to getting benched again, to being cut in what apparently is a mutual decision. I think the story is that Baker Mayfield requested a cut and the Panthers were like, uh, yeah, yeah, you are kinda trash. We'll go ahead and get rid of you. <laughs> And then he gets claimed off of waivers by the Rams with Matt Stafford out for the rest of the year. They did need some help. I am curious if Baker Mayfield actually works in LA. I don't know. It doesn't feel like uh, Sean McVeigh's really had a gunslinger type before necessarily. Maybe Matthew Stafford is more of that than I give him credit for, but It seems a little bit different than what Sean McVay has had in the past. Not that Sean McVay's had much. He's only been coaching for a couple of different quarterbacks. But we will see, and potentially as soon as Sunday. Next thing I wanted to talk about, the Pro Bowl games are coming up soon. You can vote on your team's players, your favorite players in the league. Uh, I believe the vote is still going on. I don't know how long it's still going on. But if you go to NFL.com, you can still vote. Now, the Pro Bowl games are different than the traditional Pro Bowl game. We talked about this at the time when that news broke. The Pro Bowl game as we used to know it will no longer exist. I'm not exactly sure what everything's going to look like right now. I don't know that anybody is exactly sure on what this will look like. Um, But we have coaches. The NFC will have Eli Manning and the AFC will have Peyton Manning. Pretty fun, actually. Like that idea. i not really sure what they're going to be doing, though. I believe this to be some sort of skills contest combined with like a flag football game, maybe. It's not going to be the half tackle that we've seen of previous Pro Bowls. It may not even be 11 on the 11. It's going to be pretty different. So we'll see how this works out. Uh, The Peyton and Eli show should be pretty fun. I'm actually looking forward to it. It's the first time in a while I've been able to say I'm looking forward to the Pro Bowl. So I guess they got that going for them. Next up, we do have the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees announced. This is the one NFL award that we really track on this show. Uh, Of course, we give our own awards for everything else. (laughs) But the Walter Payton Man of the Year is a very important award. We believe it to be the best award in the league simply because it recognizes off-field leadership as well. As on field leadership and community outreach is something that we all value very much. So we see one nominee from every team. I do want to shout out the repeat nominees from last year because I didn't even know that was a thing. Most teams don't have a repeat nominee, but Sam Hubbard, Dak Prescott, Aaron Jones, Lawrence Guy, Cameron Hayward, Eric Armstead. Tyler Lockett and Derek Henry are all repeat nominees for their team from the previous year, which is very cool. You can see the whole list on the screen right now, or go ahead and check that out at NFL.com as well. Really do appreciate what all these guys do for their community. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the games coming up this weekend. Of course, We've been picking games all season long. I'm very close to falling below 500 once again. Uh, <laughs> scary. <laughs> Me no likey. Uh, but <laughs> that that poor performance last week uh, was helped a little bit by the miraculous comeback from Tom Brady on Monday night. Obviously, it happened after the show concluded Monday, so we have to talk about it now. But it was... I think it was 16-3, to and then the Buccaneers scored two touchdowns in the last three minutes. Unreal. Game-winning touchdown with three seconds left on the clock. This is classic Tom Brady shenanigans. I can't say that I'm surprised, necessarily, and yet I feel somewhat surprised, in a way. I don't know how Tom Brady's still doing this. At the age that he is, but he is still doing this. It is still impressive. Good for Tom Brady. But of course, this week we have a couple of primetime matchups. We don't pick Thursday night games. Of course, the one happening right now as we're live is Raiders at Rams. Not sure if uh not sure if. Josh Jacobs can necessarily get going against this defensive line. I would bet that the Raiders will find a way to win this just because the Rams are so ravaged by injuries, but we'll see. Of course, that's going on on Amazon Prime right now. This Sunday night, Dolphins at Chargers. We are all taking the Miami Dolphins, which is understandable to an extent. I think the Dolphins are legitimately more talented than the Chargers at this point. A lot of that is due to injuries for the L.A. Chargers. Also true that the Tua to Tyreek and Tua to Waddle connections have been phenomenal. And I don't see any way the Chargers can stop both of them. This is in LA though on Sunday night should be a pretty good game. And then Monday night we have Patriots at Cardinals and we're all taking the Patriots a little bit surprising to me. I almost went with the Cardinals just because Bug and Sugar are both taking the Patriots. It feels like a game that should be more closely contested than this would make it up here. I don't know why this is a Monday night game though. <laughs> This seems like a very uh, 1 p.m. Sunday kind of a game to me. I guess, uh, I guess we'll see what the Patriots can do. I don't have a lot of faith in the Cardinals anymore. I don't know that I have in a long time. But I honestly, the best decision, in my opinion, for the Arizona Cardinals would be to move on from Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think that's actually going to happen, though, because ownership seems to really love the guy and just direct their anger at the players instead. It's very, it's such a strange situation in Arizona right now. I think because of all that weirdness, that's probably why everybody's feeling the vibes of the Patriots more than feeling the vibes of the Cardinals. But we will have to wait till Monday night to see that one sorted out. Of course, on Sunday, we all picked different games to watch out for. A bug wanted us to watch the Browns at the Bengals. Now, this potentially could be a battle for the division. With the injuries for the Ravens and the Steelers being as bad as they are, the Bengals are in great position to take the lead in this division, AFC North. Or the browns could sneak back into that conversation. If they win this one, they'll be 6 and 7 and only two games back of the division leader, assuming the ravens lose, which I guess we'll find out this weekend as well. Also true that the browns have won the last 3 matchups. Joe Burrow is over against the Cleveland Browns i got to take the Bengals, though, man. It's in Cincinnati. The Bengals are the better team, and I still don't have any faith in Deshaun Watson. Now, the reason the Browns won last week is because the Texans' offense is so bad that even in a tank year, Lovey Smith was like, we can't start Kyle Allen again. Davis Mills is going to start this weekend. But ah, that... That offense is pretty anemic at the moment, and I don't believe it will get better until next year. I really don't. I'm going to have to take the Bengals in this one, even though I definitely understand both Bug and Tug taking the Browns. I want us to watch out for the Vikings at Lions. Unfortunately, these games are at the same time, so I have to pick our battles here. But the Lions are favored against the Vikings. A sub-500 team being favored against a 10-2 division leader. Pretty wild to me. At the same time, I totally get it. It feels like the Vikings are on just a complete reel. They are. I don't understand what's happening with the Vikings. They felt a little bit fluky at the start of the year. I will admit that. At the same time, they won some really good games against some really hot, strong teams. Again, thinking back to that Bills win, it's in Ford Field. The Lions just dominated the Jaguars, which is probably driving a lot of this discussion. At the same time, I really do believe Jared Goff is playing like he wants to stay. (laughs) which everyone assumed the Lions would be drafting a quarterback. I don't think they need to at this point. And I'm going to take the Lions here. Tug is with me, which gives me some confidence. Tug's been picking that well in the NFL. Bug is taking the Vikings, though, which, again, I certainly understand. They They do have the better record, and it seems to be for a reason. They are a pretty talented roster all around. The Lions still feel like they have some holes on defense, but, man, can they put up points. It'll be fascinating to see if they can do that against this Vikings defense as well. And the tug is taking Eagles at Giants. Kind of similar to the Browns-Bengals situation, this could be one of those deciding games for the NFC East. Now, I know the Eagles are 11-1. The Giants are 7-4-1. Doesn't sound like that's a deciding game, but if the Giants can win this, that would be a huge momentum swing in the division race and potentially signal some issues for the Eagles. Now, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Giants pulling this one off. Apparently, neither do Bug or Tug. We all took the Eagles in this game, straight up. But there is some reason for trepidation. It's not like the Eagles have been purely dominant across every game this season. And they're on the road against a divisional opponent who has been playing surprisingly well this season. Now, I don't think anyone expected this one out of the Giants. Brian Dable really ought to be in that conversation for coach of the year. I... I, I understand why this is a game to watch, but I'm definitely taking the Eagles here. Let's let's put it that way. We do have to talk about our fantasy football projections here. Our sit starts, starting with the wide receiver room. Uh, Brock Party is starting for the San Francisco 49ers, which means we're going to sit Debo Samuel. I think that's understandable. <laughs> Probably going to lean on that running game a bit more and, that running game now flows through Christian McCaffrey instead of Debo. I kind of think it would be wise of the 49ers to use both Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, maybe even both out of the backfield, running different routes. If that happens, this is a bad sit. If what we expect to happen happens, and Christian McCaffrey kind of dominates that time, then this is a good sit. We'll have to see. I understand the pick here. Uh, T. Higgins is our start against the Browns and that beaten up secondary, the much maligned and rightly so secondary of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, T. Higgins has been going off this season so far. We'll see if he can do it again, especially with the Browns' probably putting their only good secondary players on Jamar Chase. Understandable, this start as well. Let's go to the running backs here. We're sitting Chuba Hubbard. I think he's like the third on a depth chart now. It's not like the Panthers really want to use him for some reason. I think he's better than they're giving him credit for. But, yeah, I don't think he's going to get too many touches. And then for our start we have isaiah pacheco i've always said isaiah it's apparently not really isaiah it's isaiah pacheco there is no second a which is weird to me it it also doesn't matter it's fine (laughs) whatever uh (laughs) it doesn't shouldn't impact how i feel about him as a player um which yeah he's been pretty good this year really makes that CEH pick a couple of years ago look even worse than it is because Pacheco's come in here stolen that number one spot and done a much better job <laughs> got to say but that's going to do it for our NFL coverage let's go ahead and hop into college football where I don't have anything for you other than the coaching carousel which is always a good time starting off starting off with my alma mater the University of Louisville they do hire Jeff Brom this has been the move almost everyone in the world expected as soon as Scott Satterfield left I certainly expected it as well the real question was whether Brom would accept it or not because in 2018 he did turn them down he has said the reason he turned down the position in 2018 is that he had just signed a contract with Purdue a couple of years ago and he had a bunch of years left on that deal. He wanted to honor his commitment to Purdue. It didn't feel like the right timing. I respect the hell out of that. I wish more coaches would see things that way. So very happy Brahm is back and doing it in the right way. And uh, I would expect his brother to come with him as offensive coordinator once again. However, in the meantime, Brian, Brom, the younger brother, will be the interim head coach for Purdue for their bowl game. Uh, speaking of bowl games, stay tuned for tomorrow, live on Twitch, where we'll be having an entire bowl season preview. Not in this episode, but stay tuned, folks. Uh, next up, Tulsa has their man. We talked about this a little bit Monday, Jake and I did. But it wasn't official just yet. I think it went official, I don't know, 10 minutes after the episode was live. So that's awesome. Love that. But Kevin Wilson is the new head coach at Tulsa, the Golden Hurricane. Get there, guy. He is currently the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. He will stay at Ohio State through the playoff. But he does have former head coaching experience. Of course, being the head coach of Indiana before coming to Ohio State. Was there at Indiana for six years, I believe. Uh, Also, offensive coordinator for Oklahoma, Northwestern, Miami of Ohio, and North Carolina A&T way back in the 80s. So Kevin Wilson has a lot of experience and hopefully can help turn around this Golden Hurricane program. who's really struggled to find an offensive identity, it feels like. So a good hire, in my opinion, here. like to see some experience coming to Tulsa. Also make some experience coming to UNLV. Barry Odom is their guy. Currently, I guess currently the head coach of UNLV. But most recently, the defensive coordinator for University of Arkansas. Also may recognize that name as former head coach of the Missouri Tigers, which is where he played football back in the day. Wild to me, in a a, a way, I don't understand how this is exactly going to translate. He does have Power 5 experience at multiple different positions, in multiple conferences as well, which I guess was one of UNLV's driving factors in this hiring process. At the same time, all of that experience is in the Southeast, so... What makes you think of this will work in Las Vegas? And what makes you think it will work to attract you to the Pac-12? Make you attractive to the Pac-12, I should say. Maybe this will work. I'm not really convinced he is a great coach. At the same time, he keeps getting opportunities. I'm not in those meetings. I'm sure he's a better coach than I am. Let's be real. So (laughs) best of luck to Barry Odom. And I really am hoping for good things. UNLV feels like a program that should be better than what they have been, at least in the past 20, 30 years. And uh, this is a good step. It feels like a big investment, getting a guy with Power 5 experience coming to UNLV. Next up, we do have Lance Taylor taking over for Western Michigan. Most recently, the offensive coordinator for the University of Louisville. Of course, all of that staff being blown up now. Has also been running backs coach at Stanford when Christian McCaffrey was there. And at Notre Dame when, gosh, what's his name? Kyron Williams was there at Notre Dame. Pretty interesting. Interesting. Would be fascinating if Western Michigan really gets a dominant run game going here. Now, Louisville's run game this past season was definitely better than their throwing game. The passing attack was not consistent. I guess is the best way to put that, the nicest way to put that. Uh, Lance Taylor was probably the best part of that coaching staff on offense this season. Fascinating to me. Really his first head coaching experience. Definitely rooting for the guy. Seems like a good dude and has had some success at some big-time programs.
1: Again, just not sure
0: how that fits into the MAC, though. It feels it feels like a bit of a reach. Maybe I'm overthinking this. I probably am. <laughs> uh, but that does it for the FBS level. We have a couple of FCS head coaching hires. Oh, head coaching moves as well. Uh, starting off with Cal Poly. We get Paul Wolf is the new head coach there. You may recognize that name from his stint at Washington State. His alma mater was head coach there from 2008 to 2011. Leveraged that position to get on Jim Harbaugh's staff at the San Francisco 49ers before coming back to the college level. Also, former head coach at Eastern Washington from 2000 to 2007. This guy has been around a while, has had some real solid head coaching experience. For the past couple of years, he has been Cal Poly's offensive line coach and run game coordinator. So, internal promotion here, technically, but also a guy with a ton of head coaching experience. This feels like a great move for Cal Poly. really hope this works out for them. Paul Wolf, congratulations on the promotion. And I had to correct myself. This is not a hire. This is a move, I guess, for an FCS head coach. Uh, Weber State's Jay Hill is leaving the program after that great playoff run to become the defensive coordinator and associate head coach for BYU. This is huge. I am very excited for Jay Hill. He is going from head coach at the FCS level to associate head coach at the Power 5 level. This is massive. Heading into the Big 12, BYU needed to beef up that defense. Defense was probably the best part of Weber State this year and they beat FBS Utah State. Like Jay Hill can coach and had f- figured out ways to <coughs> Excuse me. Figured out ways to get the most out of his talent down there at the FCS level. I really do believe he will do a great job for Brigham Young and rooting for the guy. Now, I will say there are a couple of open head coaching jobs remaining. There are some rumors out there as to who will fill a couple of those. Uh, Stanford may be looking for jason garrett um i don't want to i don't want to go down that rabbit hole if i don't have to (laughs) please don't hire jason garrett (laughs) why would you bring in a guy with no recruiting experience to the most difficult school to recruit at (laughs) okay good luck stanford you do you Let's get a coaching staff. Jason Garrett, a defensive coordinator, reporting to Condoleezza Rice. That's the real move. <laughs> but we do have a game to pick in college football, or a couple, as uh the title of this stream will let you know. It's FCS quarterfinals week. But we also have the Army Navy game. Uh should be a pretty good one as well. Now, I still do have the lead in college pick by four. So made a big swing last week. Big push to come back. Uh, he could take the lead this week if we all pick different games, different winners, and uh, he beats me in all of them. That will not happen. I guarantee it. But <laughs> let's see what we picked. Uh, of course, Army-Navy week. If you remember back to when we did our college of Rivalries bracket, this has been, oh gosh, a year and a half ago, maybe. Two years ago, something like that. Uh, the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy finished second in that bracket, ahead of the Iron at third. We very much respect this rivalry. Of course, uh, Bug would want me to say it is the battle for second place as Air Force did win the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy this year, beating both Army and Navy. But also, Army-Navy gets its own week of the regular season, uh, which is pretty cool. So it is hosted by Lincoln Financial Field. You can see them putting up the banners right there. Uh, uh, Sponsored by USAA. Everybody wants a piece of this one. It's always huge but it's also a time to bust out some incredible alternate uniforms. I'll start off with navies here. They have the moon on their helmets. They have the old NASA worm logo on their helmets. It looks awesome. They also have an astronaut on their helmets. This is Bruce McCandless II. He's a Naval Academy graduate and the first person to take an untethered space walk, Dude was disconnected from the entirety of humanity out in the vastness of space. And he was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. I'm definitely doing that. Nuts. Wild. I would not be willing to do that. Personally, <laughs> more power to you. Uh, he is, as I said, a Naval Academy graduate in his own right. The Naval Academy has more astronaut graduates than any other institution in the world. I know UCF tries to claim their space U. Uh, They do have a fair bit of astronauts. I'll give them credit. But the crown definitely goes to Navy. Um, Another one of their astronauts. You may know the first American in space, Alan Shepard. They had the first American astronaut as well as the most. So it's almost all white. It does supposed to it is supposed to evoke astronaut suits. That's why the red stripes in key locations. Also, they have the word Navy on their socks in the NASA worm logo font, which I think is a very cool Easter egg. They will be wearing NASA patches as well as American flag patches. The emblem on their pants is meant to represent the medal that you get in the Navy for becoming an astronaut, which is pretty dang awesome. I think this is all-around an incredible-looking uniform. I can't wait to see this in action, including that helmet with just uh, straight up... It's got the moon on it. (laughs) A big old astronaut on the other side. It's kind of awesome. But Army, of course, had to match the intensity here, they bring their own very customized logo. First time they will ever be wearing this one. Uh, This is in honor of Old Ironsides, the first armored division, World War II tank division. Uh, This is also the 80th anniversary this year of Operation Torch, where Old Ironsides Probably got most of their infamy, honestly. They led the charge to uh, drive Vichy France out of North Africa in Operation Torch. So, pretty cool stuff. The paint of the tanks is driving the color scheme of this uniform, the brown and the yellow. Uh, Of course, on the tanks as well, they had stars to represent the number of the tank. The star will be on the shoulder of the jersey, which is very cool. Um, The first Armored Division patch is the helmet logo. They also have this really interesting mud splatter design, which just looks so cool to me, man. It's straight up supposed to represent a legit tank with all the mud splatter you would normally get through normal tank operation. (laughs) I think this uniform is incredible. Probably my favorite over the Navy uniform. Gotta say, ah, this is this looks really good. <laughs> I have no complaints. Of course, it's not just a uniform battle. It is also a football game. And we should be talking about how good these teams are on the football field. Now, huge shout out to at Stats War on Twitter. Uh Parker does an incredible job. He does these graphics for every single FBS game every week. I've been following them all season. Very fascinating stuff. Some real advanced stats previews for every single game. This is the first one we're pulling up on the show because I wanted to redirect some focus back to what we should be expecting on the field here. Uh both these teams are pretty bad. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> this is this is a bad year. For both Army and Navy out on the football field. At the same time, it's a rivalry game and it's freaking Army Navy week. So anything's possible. According to the advanced stats, Army has the slight edge. However, according to Las Vegas, Navy is the one point favorite. Anything's possible. (laughs) Legitimately, anything's possible. (coughs) But go follow Stats of War on Twitter because these. These are only some of the work that he does, and it's pretty incredible stuff. Of course, we did pick our projected winners of the Army-Navy game. Bug and I are both taking Army. Tug is taking Navy. Yeah, this is probably going to be a very close game. It is a rivalry game. Everything is up in the air. Anything goes. I have legitimately no idea what to expect here. Army. Seems like they want to throw the ball at times anymore, which is kind of interesting. They're not that great at it. They certainly like to try. Navy, on the other hand, doesn't seem to care to throw the ball. At the same time, it's Army-Navy week. Navy may come out and surprise us all and throw for 200 yards. I'm not putting past them. Legitimately, everything is on the table here. Uh, We will see Saturday at 3 p.m. on CBS, Army-Navy, the standalone FBS game this week. Check it out. In the FCS, though, we have the quarterfinals of the playoffs. Pretty awesome stuff moving right along here in the FCS playoffs. Kind of unreal. Only two weeks left of this thing. Starting us off, though, Samford at North Dakota State, all three of us are taking North Dakota State. This is no disrespect at all of Sanford. I think this story and this season for Sanford has been incredible. North Dakota State's a more talented team. It's at, it's in Fargo. I mean, come on. This is, the Bison are known how, for a reason. Um <laughs> uh, yeah i I haven't seen anything out of Sanford to suggest they'll be able to stop the run game of North Dakota State, which is basically all of North Dakota State's offense. This would be more interesting to me if it were uh say william and mary uh if they got this matchup instead of Sanford. I think that might be a better schematic matchup. But Sanford, I really don't think they can stop the Bison. Uh, Of course, Bug and Tug agree with me. I'm not alone here. William and Mary at Montana State. I'm kind of taking the hate pick here. I can't stand Montana State, and I don't know why. This legitimate beef now. This is straight up big dudes in the trenches beefing with Montana State. It's official. Put us up on drama alert. Um Bug's taking Montana State. I'm going to disown Bug from the podcast. He's going to be removed from the paperwork of the show. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm taking William & Mary. I have loved the Tribe this season. I did not expect them to do this well. I'm going to be real. I didn't know much about the Tribe before this year. But they came up. Really impressively, they've been dominating a lot of their games in a very good conference, the CAA, winning that conference, taking it all the way to Montana State this weekend. I, I really do think this is gonna, probably going to be the best game this weekend. If you have a chance to watch this one on ESPN2, give it a go. That is tomorrow night, and it should be a pretty awesome game. Next up, Incarnate Word at Sacramento State. We're all taking Sacramento State. I was very close to taking Incarnate Word, though, because, man, both of these offenses are really awesome to watch, and Incarnate Word can sling it like nobody's business. That dual threat, though, from Sacramento State with two different quarterbacks is kind of exciting. It's kind of electric. And what Jake was talking about last week, or I guess Monday, actually, with Sacramento State finally getting the monkey off their back, so to speak, of getting that win in the FCS playoffs, maybe that really ignites something for the Hornets here. Also have to consider, actually, the final nail in the coffin for me, taking Sacramento State over Incarnate Word here. G.J. Kinney is leaving UIW. And I expect that to actually play an impact here. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this one, but Sacramento State has the coaching edge, if for nothing else than the fact that the head coach is still expected to be there next year and has more of an investment in the game. Uh, it feels rough to say it that way, but we've seen similar things happen. Just look at Coastal Carolina. Last week. Uh, Last up, we have Holy Cross at South Dakota State. We are all taking the Jackrabbits. The Jackrabbits are the best team in the FCS right now. Got to be real. I love Holy Cross. I love the story here. They did go undefeated. It wasn't the Patriot League, which not everybody has a whole lot of faith in. I don't think we should just discount it because it's the Patriot League at the same time. I do kind of understand it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, South Coast State ought to win this one. Really, I expect SDSU to out talent Holy Cross the entire way. And that alone will probably carry them. Uh, But let's go ahead and talk about some prospects to watch out for. I do want to start off with the FCS. Actually, amazingly, for a show called Big Dudes in the Trenches, this is my first offensive lineman. I really don't have a reason for that. I haven't been particularly avoiding offensive linemen. I guess a part of it is I wanted to show off some stats and it's really difficult to do that for offensive linemen because there aren't too many great advanced stat companies that keep track of FCS offensive linemen. Uh, Don't come at me with pro football focus. They don't know what they're doing with offensive line and, I think even they admit that at points. (laughs) So, uh, I think the best we can do for Cody Mock of North Dakota State, who I'm talking about here, is just look at some of the honors he's received because it's an impressive list. He will be coming out into the draft this year. I've seen hype around him to the point where he might be considered to be a first-round pick out of the FCS here. In 2017, he redshirted. That's going to happen most offensive linemen Richard their first year. 2018, mixed honor roll for the Missouri Valley Football Conference. That's pretty awesome. So he's a smart guy. 2019, the school sets a rushing record for 4,601 yards in the season uh, with him starting every game. That's pretty dang good. 2020, he gets named the all-conference second team They finished fourth in the country in fewest sacks allowed. That's pretty dang good. (laughs) 2021, he's All-American second team. Of course, all-conference first team. Only one sack allowed in 625 snaps. Zero tackles for loss allowed in those 625 snaps. That is impressive. He has been balling this year as well. Preseason All-American first team, and he has already accepted an invite to the Reese Senior Bowl. Keep an eye on Cody Mock. He is 6'6", 300 pounds, and he should be rising up draft boards very quickly throughout this draft process. On the defensive side of things, a little bit of low-hanging fruit, I guess. Uh, Andre Carter II, outside linebacker from Army. Uh, weird to say as army guy is low hanging fruit as NFL draft prospect, but man, he is getting a whole lot of love off that 2021 season last year. He had 15 and a half sacks, 18 and a half tackles for loss four forced fumbles and interception. And he was so consistent the entire year, just dominating some injuries this year, held him back a little bit. Still had seven TFLs and three and a half sacks. He should be good to go against Navy. I really do expect he's going to put on a show here in his last outing for the Black Knights. If he does get drafted, I do expect he will get a waiver from the Department of Defense to be able to play in the NFL. It is possible that he doesn't which is going to scare off some teams. I don't believe he will be a first-round draft pick. Unless, I guess, the Department of Defense could come out and go ahead and say if he's drafted, we'll we'll waive his service commitment or something. Um, I don't think they will do that. The government moves at the speed of the government and not at the speed of the NFL. I do believe he will be drafted, though. I mean, his his film is so dang good. And he has the bloodline. His dad played for the Patriots, uh, for a couple different teams. Probably remembered for the Patriots because he went to a Pro Bowl there. Andre Carter II second is a great defensive player, and has had a great education. In the United States Military Academy. So I would consider him a great draft prospect. He is also six foot seven, two sixty which is pretty dang cool. <laughs> As an outside linebacker, it could be 6'7". that's that's a, sure is an asset to your game. <laughs> uh, so normally, this is where it would be over. But I've kind of been zooming through some things, and we still have XFL news to talk about. Now, I know Bug's not here, but I'll do my best in his stead. We have uniform drops for the XFL. The best way to see this would be to watch us live on Twitch, twitch.com slash, wow, I said that weird, twitch.com slash big dudes in the trenches, all one word. You can also see what we're doing on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at big dudes in the trenches, I believe. Um, yeah, check us out at those platforms if you want to see what I'm looking at here. But we do have uniforms for the XFL it is fascinating to me that we really don't have that many changes in color schemes but also we have three blue teams kind of kind of weird not going to lie um also Seattle changed significantly if you remember back to XFL 2.0 they had this weird blue and green and orange combination. This time around, they're going with an orange jersey and an orange helmet, which I kind of like. I have seen some backlash to this. I kind of like the uniform for Seattle. I really like the Vipers all black. I think that looks awesome. Uh, St. Louis, very classic looking logo, uh, logo and jersey. I guess both. Orlando is probably the one to me that stands out as the the least um the least NFL esque, I guess, in a way. Uh I don't know what I'm trying to say there. The most amateurish in a way. Um uh, Houston looks very classic, very clean. I like that a lot. Except for the number the color gradient and the numbers. I really don't like color gradients on uniforms. Uh, some better pictures here. If we look at the helmets, of course, these are all renderings, not real helmets. But I do like some of the detail here. Um, the Viper's helmet probably looks the best to me. I kind of like the Seattle helmet, though. That DC helmet has some weird... Camo effect going on there, the white and gray. Not sure I'm into that necessarily. Again, that Orlando feels cheap. Feels like a knockoff of something. Feels like semi-pro football, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Another look at the jerseys themselves here. Now, if you'll notice, previous picture of the Brahmas uniform, it was a gray jersey. This is a yellow. Uh, we do have confirmation. This yellow jersey will be the away. They won't have a white. They'll have a yellow. And then the gray will be home. The other, rest of these are their home jersey. Uh, I like the Defenders jersey. I don't like that camel on the helmet. But the jersey for the Defenders looks awesome to me. Seattle as well. I really do like that orange. Um, St. Louis. Las Vegas. Houston, I like those a lot. Probably my least favorites in order, Orlando. I've already ragged on them a couple of times. I don't really like the Renegades either, personally. That's probably going to be just a fringe personal opinion. I don't know. That pinstriping inside the numbers, the baby blue. (laughs) I'm not into it. (laughs) Uh, To each their own, I guess. I like the Defenders, though. Very classic-looking St. Louis, uh, Las Vegas, the Vipers look looks awesome. I like those three. Probably my favorite. So I believe we will probably talk about these again tomorrow because tomorrow, a.k.a. Friday, uh, December 9, tune in to our Twitch because we're going to be doing every single bowl game in bowl season. We'll be picking – all of them. <laughs> um, wild that we're doing that in the first place. Also, Bug and Tug will be on the show. So stay tuned, folks, because we have a whole lot more football action coming your way right here on Twitch and everywhere you listen to your podcasts. We are the big dudes in the trenches, and we will see you, well, I guess now, tomorrow. <laughs> Good stuff, see y'all.